0: It's just a gigantic pyramid scheme with all sorts of sort of organized crime and money laundering angles to the story as well. But at the center of it, it's just this woman who built a very sophisticated scam and then disappeared with all the money. And then the FBI, you know, finally put her on the 10 most wanted list uh, just about three months ago. Hello
1: there, how are you all? I am back on form. My bronchitis is gone, my voice is back just in time for Christmas, which is great. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today on the show, I've got my buddy, Jamie Bartlett, back, now, Jamie was on the show a few years ago. He made this amazing series for the BBC called The Missing Crypto Queen, all about the one coin scam. And I know a bunch of you struggled with it because uh, we've got similarish English voices. And I think some of you didn't know who was talking at times. Just to help you, uh, Jamie's a super smart one talking about the scams. But since that show was made, we've had all our own bullshit going on with FTX and that kind of stuff. But Jamie's still been following this story. He's still been chasing down Ruger who made it on the FBI's 10 most uh, wanted list. He's also released a book. And um, so it felt like a good time to get Jamie back on the show and talk about this again. So absolutely fascinating work. If you haven't listened to The Missing Crypto Queen, do go and check it out. It's in the show notes. Go and check out the bonus shows he's made recently. Also go and check out his book. Uh, yeah. And if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please drop me an email. It is hello at did.com. Jamie, good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. How you doing? I'm all right. I think uh, last time we did this was in your front
0: room. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, forgot about that. Pre, yeah. Pretty nice nicer now, isn't it, where you are? Yeah. Pre-pre COVID, so lots happened since then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's guys, a long time ago now. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and you've bought a football team in the meantime, oh, so lots changed. Yeah. <laughs> lots changed. And we
1: have got Danny with us. Danny now yeah. travels
0: with the show. Yeah. Great to see, you, Danny. Good to see you. Were you producing the show when Jamie was on it? Yeah, yeah. That was the last time I'm we did it me.
2: on Defiance, though, rather than what Bitcoin did.
0: I think we did a bit of both, didn't we? we? Did both, yeah. Because yeah. I'd also, I, I was really into radical political movements crypto anarchy as well done a lot on that and i think you were really suddenly getting into all of that as well that was a book you'd written yeah that's it
1: yeah and then but we did the one coin scam as a a show on its own on Mm -hmm. what bitcoin did
0: it was a popular show
1: yeah all right oh good
0: yeah Yeah, i thought you meant
1: the crypto queen was a popular well we know that's a popular show (laughs) come on man (laughs) as i said i was at your book signing
0: it wasn't really a book
2: signing though was it no it wasn't a book so tell the story where was this
0: it was at the accel. What was it called? The accelerator I event. It was. It's in sort of central London, sort of the city.
2: Yeah,
1: one of um, those kind of uh, buildings where lots of really fashionable cool people work, and
0: you've got no idea what they do for a job. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And yeah. actually, I was doing a talk about OneCoin, and then the organizer said to me we actually got quite a controversial host of the event after you. He's called Peter McCormack. (laughs) And I was like, I know Peter! (laughs) Why were you controversial? (laughs)
1: Uh, I I actually don't think they fully appreciated what they asked me to do and how it was going to turn out. You were chairing a kind of debate, weren't you? Well, so, firstly, it was... Jamie given a talk, an update on. Uh, wait, correct me if I'm wrong, but as an update on the missing crypto queen, because your book's out now. Yeah, that's so it. So it's, yeah. it's like a he's basically on a book tour, right? Yeah, and, something like uh, that. And had an interview with a guy about it. Gave an update, and then they wanted to follow it up with a kind of debate about uh, crypto as and so. trust and trust. And they asked me to share it to share it, and then they obviously sent me through the list of people who were on the list, and it was just. Uh, there's like a guy from Bitpanda, but basically a bunch of shitcoiners. <laughs> and so anyway, they, they they got us all on this call beforehand to try and prep it. And, and the girl who was prepping it, she wanted to say, she was like, what are all the questions we're going to ask? And I was like, it doesn't really work like this, because in the environment you want to ask questions. And she was getting really nervous. And I said, look, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, because like, this is what I do, it's my job. So I'm just going to turn up and ask questions. And even if I agree with you, them with you in advance, I'm probably just going to change it so you just got to accept i'm just going to turn up and do it or you can just like remove me from it and she said no okay you do it but like just don't get me in trouble and then basically i i
0: definitely upset a few people it was the, it was the peter McCormack show basically it was it was, uh, but a lot of people were there to see you i think as well because you know they all listened to the podcast and i think in the end as well it you go to hundreds of events about crypto and trust and this, that, and the other, and, Frank, like most of them, you don't remember anything. Mm. At least people would remember, because it got a bit heated. You it were did. saying, like, you're all a bunch of shit coins. <laughs> Well, not, saying... not in those words, but, you know, you were sort of cutting through some of the crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. People well, loved it. Do you know what it does? We spoke about this on the way. I don't know if you remember, in the
1: interview we did the first time, I said there's different levels of scam because... There are certain people who call everything a scam. If it's not Bitcoin, it's a scam. Even to the point of people's... It got ridiculous. Owning a chair is a scam. You should sell it and buy Bitcoin. But there are different levels of scam. There are outright obvious scams like OneCoin, where there is no blockchain. It's never going
0: to exist. It is just theft. It's designed originally to be a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme, basically. Using crypto as the branding. And there's lots
1: of those that exist in Crypto, let's say crypto-wide. Then you've kind of got what I would say is like a semi-scam where they have got a blockchain. They're promising it will do something. They sell a bunch of tokens, pre-mine them, sell them off straight away. And nobody ever ever makes any money yeah. unless they're in. Then you've got what are just shitty ideas. Yeah, totally. Which may be you know, something like, I would say Solano is just a shitty idea. So, now, some people call that a scam. Some people say it's a shitty idea. Um, I say it's a shitty idea because it's not decentralized. It keeps stopping. And then you've got other things like Ethereum where I think it's a genuine attempt to do something. Like there are people who genuinely believe they can build useful applications on it. And also, even though I hate it and I wouldn't use it or I don't like it, there are things, useful things on it. There are. Pe- I've just read an article about people in Argentina who are using Tron. Which some people call a scam, but they're using the dollar stablecoin on there to protect their income because yeah. the peso is yeah. so fucked. So I find it hard to call that a scam when it's actually yeah. supporting people's lives. And you go all the way up to Bitcoin, which some people actually yeah. call a scam. Yeah. Yeah. But there's yeah. all these different levels. And my problem is, is the further you go to go down the scam, the more I think they use something like Bitcoin and blockchain as a cover for it actually being a scam. And yeah, I only care about Bitcoin. So when I was in that environment, you had these people talking about blockchain solutions for blockchain for voting. I was just like, I just want to go and say, look, it's all nonsense. Convince me otherwise. So I was a bit, I was a bit mouthy. <laughs> that sounds like
0: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very true though about the layers of scam. It's really important because I think we talked about this before. The problem for the one coin investors who did not understand any of the tech of any of it. But they weren't crypto investors at all. They just had heard about Bitcoin in the newspaper or something. And their friend told them that they're in on the next big thing. Because they just would look around and see everyone calling everything a scam. So when people would call OneCoin a scam, they'd be like, yeah, but whatever. You call Ethereum a scam. So... What's the difference? So that's why the language is quite important about like, that's a pump and dump scam. This could be accountancy fraud, not actually really a scam on an exchange site. This could be, you know, a good idea, like you said, but that's, or a bad idea, but that some people do believe in. That's not quite the same. So you've you got to be really precise with the language on this. Otherwise, it ends up. Unfortunately, sucking a load of people into actual scams.
1: We were talking on the way because we re-listened to the last two episodes. Just as the a one, Yeah, as a yeah. refresher. Yeah. And Frank Schneider was on there. Yeah. And you had that moment with him where you were asking yeah. about how did he not know? Come on, this is common sense. Uh, and Danny was at that point in agreement. I said, Let me tell you something. If I launched one coin and I called up my dad and said, Look, Dad, I'm doing this project, I need your help. Can you help me with it? And he said, yeah. I said, look, I need a manager. I need you to manage my diary, you know, to book my hotels, to do all this stuff for me. Will you come and work with me? My dad would say, do it. And, I said, and he would probably travel with me and do those bookings. And even at the point where I could explain it to my dad, he'd be like, oh, that sounds great. And even at the point where things were in the, say there was in the press, things saying, Peter McCormack's a scammer. One coin is a scam, stay away from him. And if my dad came to me and said, what's this all about? I'd say, no, dad, these people are jealous. Haters. They don't understand. <laughs> the reason I'm increasing the supply by 50 to 1 is because there's a massive amount of demand. And he'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Now, I'm not 100% sure I believe Mr. Schneider, but I, I think you can get caught up in something without knowing you're caught up in something because it's so obvious to us because we have the knowledge. And the reason I'm saying this is that Everything that happens with these scams makes my life as a Bitcoiner harder. Yeah, Because I'm trying to explain a tool which is used for human rights, it's used by activists, it's used to route around capital controls and authoritarian states, used by people for me to pay, uh, suppliers of them to pay me across borders. Also, some people to invest. There's like all these uses for Bitcoin. And more often than not, with everything that's happened, say, now with FTX, yeah, know celsius and three arrows capital it all gets
0: lumped in together yeah that's right
1: and trying to navigate that is a bloody
0: nightmare yeah it, it definitely is i mean the frank schneider interview was really interesting because for anyone that doesn't know frank schneider the Ameri- frank schneider is a former top spy for luxembourg he's a you know he's a top european union spy he was director of operations at srel And in Luxembourg, they do sort of specialize in a lot of financial crime as well, given where they are. So we're talking about someone that really knows how to spot deception. And he is in the process of being indicted by the Department of Justice in the US for his role in the one coin scam for money laundering and wire fraud wasn't wasn't he actually indicted today or yesterday it was a new indictment was yeah. published it, it was it was a superseding indictment so he'd already been indicted he was arrested to great fanfare in France he's under house arrest at the moment and then a new indictment for reasons i don't really understand actually why they put a new indictment out but a superseding indictment was yesterday i think it was it came out so they want him and he's, he's got one more appeal left to run but it looks Likely he will be indicted. Um, but I suppose that interview was interesting because he was under house arrest when I interviewed him. He's got an ankle bracelet on. It was a really weird thing to do. But the very specific thing that I was, for me, was most interesting about that is. I said, Frank, you know, you're a spy, you're trained in deception, and you, how comes you didn't spot this? Oh, blockchain's complicated, it's confusing, I don't understand the technology. All right, leave that to one side. That's your dad's argument. I mm. understand that. But I did say, not you're just you're increasing the supply by a factor of 50, because Ruja built a new blockchain and she increased the supply of a, by a factor of 50. She said the price is going to remain exactly the same. Five euros, 95. Which to me... That would, obviously, that's real alarm bells. And he said, but it's all, I don't understand any of the technology. And I just thought, it's not really about the technology, though. Was this not very, very suspicious general behaviour for you as a spy, for someone to have done something like this? Isn't this basic economics? Wasn't this enough to make you really concerned that maybe the price of one coin was just fixed and fake? What was his job for her? Different people say different things. I mean, technically, he was brought in as a kind of, he ran a private intelligence company called Sandstone in Luxembourg. So he was kind of managing her sort of some of her security, some of her PR and reputational stuff, but he's often described by others as a sort of all-round fixer. You know, someone that sorted things out for her. Don't really know what that means exactly to be honest. But it was just a good example for me of where sometimes people allow themselves to be baffled by the technology. They don't look at the fundamentals. I mean, it's a multi-level marketing company with a price that Rouge seemingly can just manipulate at will for a product that a lot of people are saying is fake. To me, that is enough for a professional person to say, I think I should probably step away from this. When are you a co-conspirator though?
1: You know, I'm trying to trying to see yeah. both sides. I'm trying to, trying to be as yeah. most charitable, charitable as I can to him. Because yeah. to me, she's obviously the master criminal, one of maybe a few master criminals. If his job is security yeah. and he's arranging their security and there's an announcement yeah. about this increase in supply and he just doesn't read it because he doesn't care, you know, yeah. I mean, I, look, if I had to put my gut in there, he probably knew what was going or on. I had questions. I mean, the yeah. thing
0: is, it's a sort of strategic ignorance, I think. Sometimes people just don't want to ask certain questions Especially when they're if you're work, being well paid. When you're being well paid. Exactly. And that is what people like Rouge do and what they understand that. You pay someone a lot of money. They won't always ask difficult questions. When is someone a co-conspirator? I mean, look, Frank Schneider hasn't been charged or found guilty yet, so or hasn't been convicted of, of any of this yet. So let's see. I mean... And he is, but he is being charged with money laundering offences and wire fraud. So they, the FBI, are alleging that he was somehow quite actively involved in the promotion of this, in making this company really function, and moving money around for Rusia and concealing its origins and purpose. So that's a slightly different thing for, from Frank. You should have known. That's not mm. really so much of an. Uh, a question of legality, that's more a sort of moral question. Like, Frank, come on, you you should have got this. Like, why did you miss this? Mm. I with mean, everything, look. all your skills and experience. So, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not saying that just his ignorance was criminal. There are other charges that he's got. But I think in law they talk about known or should have known. Like, with the weight of evidence and the information you had, you should have reasonably known what was going on. Mm. But I'm not a lawyer, so I can't really answer that properly. I mean, my suspicion is he knew, or
1: he was, being ignorant, But I'm just more intri- interested at the point you become what you're doing as criminal. And I guess, like, if you're moving large amounts of money around, you have to be aware of it, aware of where it's coming from, and where it's going to.
0: Yeah, and that's a separate thing, isn't yeah. it? That's the sort of money laundering charges. And that is, in the case of one coin, that seems to be what the Department of Justice is most interested in. They don't really seem to go after the top promoters, the people that have been pushing OneCoin and selling it to people all around the world. But they've gone after Rouge's investment manager, who they've done on money laundering charges, Frank Schneider. They're going after him on money laundering charges. They really. Her brother? Her brother, money laundering and mm. fraud, he pleaded guilty to to those charges. So they really go after the money launderers in these things. I mean, they see their role as upholding the integrity of the financial system, don't they? Do you so, think there's a possibility it's that
1: th- these are the people that will give them the best chance of getting to her
0: and one may roll? Well, the, yes, definitely. I think the general thinking on this is that her brother, I mean, at the moment they've got her brother... He's pleaded guilty. They've got her lover. He's pleaded guilty and works with them. Her investment manager, he was found guilty, although he's um, appealing. He's asking for a retrial. Her co-founder of OneCoin, Sebastian Greenwood, he is awaiting charge at the moment. He's awaiting trial at the moment. Um, And now they're going after her senior advisor, Frank Schneider, this Luxembourg spy. These are really the sort of top people. Hmm. It's just her. She's the only one left, but the big thing that's happened since we spoke is that that the FBI put her on their 10 most wanted list which shows they really do want to get her what was it, it a $5000 reward which <laughs> no that was the europol uh, yeah europol put her on the <laughs> europol put her on their top 10 most wanted list or their most wanted list they don't have a top 10 their most wanted list and then about 2 weeks later the FBI puts her on their most wanted list, and but they offer a hundred thousand dollars reward. When we saw that, five, we heard that five thousand dollars, well, five thousand euros. We're like, huh? Yeah, that's a bit weird, isn't it? But the thing is, that even the hundred thousand dollar reward from the FBI is an interesting number because they know, like, if she's being protected by some wealthy oligarch, they know a hundred thousand dollars isn't going to mean anything. Mm. What I think they're going after are people that work in the ports in the in the mediterranean the people that work in the shops that might have spotted her the people that work on yachts and boats you know the catering crew or whatever people for whom a hundred thousand dollars would actually make a real difference in their lives and would be enough for them to basically quit their jobs and disappear for a while so that's why i think they've chosen a hundred thousand dollars i asked the fbi about it because i interviewed mm. them for it um and they sort of hinted at that but she is now is she the only crypto scammer on the FBI's list? she's Presumably the only crypto scam that's ever been on the FBI's 10 most wanted list.
1: Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, she's not the only one under the... uh Investigation by the FBI. We'll talk about that one later. Yeah. Do you know what we should do? Sorry. Because uh, it was, I mean, it was 2009 but when you 19, were last on the yeah. show. Was 2000, sorry, 2019. <laughs> 2009 is when Bitcoin was uh, released. Uh, 2019. So it's been a while. We've got a few more listeners now. I bet some haven't even heard yeah, of Bitcoin yeah, or right. know what it is. What's
0: the, just like a quick TLDR the, on it yeah. all? The quick story is Dr. Ruzsa Ignatova comes out of nowhere in 2014 and says, You've all missed Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's for criminals and anarchists like Peter. you know, It's not gonna be for ordinary non-technical guys. It's you know, drug dealers and all the rest of it on the dark net. So I've created something better. It's called OneCoin. It's really simple, easy to use. Bitcoin's got this decentralized blockchain, which means it's never going to be controllable. But I've built a centralized blockchain so I can reverse transactions and stuff like that.
1: The irony of that statement.
0: (laughs) I know. But what you've got to remember is that for ordinary people, that kind of does make sense. Yes. Like my mum would immediately think, yeah, that's better. Because what happens when I get my Bitcoin stolen and they're gone forever? I don't want to, you know, I've forgotten my password. What am I going to do? So she was trying to pitch this to ordinary people, non-technical, non-sophisticated investors investors but she also sold it through multi-level marketing so like amway or herbalife you know you buy you you buy some one coin then you sell it to your friends and family and you get a commission so this thing then just takes off so quickly and by 2017 she's got a million investors from 175 countries who've put in over 4 billion euros into this the price of one coin keeps going up but she keeps saying it's not available to trade yet on Kraken or Poloniex or one of these, but it, or Binance, but it will be soon. That day never comes. October 2017, she gets a Ryanair flight from Sofia, Bulgaria to Athens, Greece, and just disappears into thin air. She's gone with at least 500 million of investors' money. That's what her brother says, but it could be more than that. And she's been missing ever since. I mean, and really, the whole thing is just a pyramid scheme. But she'd put crypto in there to make it seem new and original and fresh. And she really she captured all the hype of Bitcoin because every time the price of Bitcoin went up, these one coin investors would think, wow, I'm on the next one because they were so gutted they'd missed the first wave. And, you know, back then, five hundred dollars, it did feel like you'd missed it. Felt too late. Shit. If the people that had invested in one coin in 2015 had put it into Bitcoin, they actually would have got the money Rouge promised them, mm. weirdly enough. So she's been on the run ever since. Um, it's just a gigantic pyramid scheme with all sorts of sort of organized crime and money laundering angles to the story as well. But at the center of it, it's just this woman who built a very sophisticated scam and then disappeared with all the money. And then the FBI, you know finally put her on the 10 most wanted list uh, just about three months ago.
1: And there's a lot of victims around the world. Uh, is there any particular example story of a victim that would kind of would be a good example to give to people of what people have been through? I know there's, because we spoke to Jen yeah, yeah a while back, and I know there's, yeah you know, was it? I'm trying to remember the African country. The guys in Uganda. Uganda, that was it.
0: Any particular example or more than one. There's so many. There's so many. And, you know, the whole of the one-coin saga has become a bit of an industry in its own. Now, there's documentaries being made. There's movies being made. It's really become a sort of a big story, if you like. The typical thing is the average investment was about €5,000. And these weren't wealthy people. So €5,000 for a lot of them was their savings, It was the money they'd had, you know, the only real savings they had. Some people would remortgage their house. Some people would borrow from friends and family because they weren't interested with their 5,000 euros. They weren't interested in 10% annual returns. What good is that going to do them? They want to buy a Lamborghini. They want to go on holiday. Rouge is offering 300% returns immediately. You know, 10,000, you know, it's going to go the way of Bitcoin. It's going to go up 10,000% in a year. And that's what people were interested in. What would often happen is someone would invest maybe two or 300 euros. They would see the price of one coin was going up. They might even be able to get some of it out because they did have a clever internal exchange site where you could sometimes trade some one coin for some "Quote unquote real money." Sorry for the expression. Who mm-hmm. was setting the price? Because there was no Ruja. market. No, so was, she just was, set, just she was just changing the price whenever she wanted. <laughs> so it was just going up and up and up. Did it ever go down? It never went down. <laughs> it never went down. It just went. It was like if you, the FBI actually posted a picture of the graph of the price, and it's just a it's just a staircase. It just Perfect. goes up and up and up and up. <laughs> Where can I <we> get some? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but typically, and this was why people like Rouge are are brilliant. Students of psychology more than technology, that they would, they understood that if you can give someone a small payout, so their 100 euro investment did turn into 500 euros and they got that money back, they'd immediately put 5,000 euros in straight away and that'd be gone for good. So they were very clever. And I, I heard that over and over and over again. I mean, in Uganda, the guy I spoke to, Daniel, he'd, so, he'd sold his goats to invest it in one coin. His mother had then put her life savings, two and a half thousand euros, into one coin. I spoke to a former winner of the Eurovision Song Contest yep. in uh, in America, where she was from Israel originally. She'd invested, um, what can't remember tens or hundreds thousand of thousands. Thousand, yeah. yeah, hundreds, yeah. Of th- hundred and something thousand dollars. Her husband, you know, the money that she got after her husband died. I've even heard of people with, believe it or not, PhDs in finance that have invested money in Uh OneCoin. A doctor from America invested $900,000 into OneCoin. You know, so it's everything from a very, very poor person in a rural village in Uganda. And when I was over there, I'd meet people. Everyone had heard of OneCoin in Uganda. It was so interesting because th- there's a real hype about crypto in those places. And sometimes it was a bit sad, all-, all the exciting hype and the laser eyes and all the stuff that was going on here. You know, behind that, there's some victim in a small village in Uganda who wants a piece of the action and has lost his life savings of 500 euros. Mm. So it was uh, it was tough, yeah. And you know, the weirdest thing is this month, OneCoin events are still taking place. <laughs> so I've got Finland. this on here. Literally here, is it still being sold? Yeah, it is still being sold. Who's they, selling it for who? They have rebranded it as the One Ecosystem, so they've got a new name for it. There was, there was meant to be an event in London this week, Monday just gone. But a load of the victims contacted the people that were hosting the event somewhere in London, and they got it cancelled. In some ways, so I'd rather is, went ahead to go and see who's involved. Yeah, I wonder, actually. Yeah. I but, was actually hoping to, to go there myself. But so it who's got they? You say they are still selling Who Do is Do you it? remember I was had a weird phone call in the season one, like the first season, with this guy called Cameron High, who I phoned him up and he started calling me unprofessional and all the rest of it. Oh, maybe. he probably wouldn't, yeah. yeah. He's still involved. He's still pushing it. Other former promoters are still pushing it around the world. and And often, see, what... Okay so it was it was being marketed in 175 countries. So in places like Thailand they're still hosting big events that like the regulators aren't doing anything about it. It's not really being stopped. So you can kind of the FBI can stick Rouger on their list, but over in Thailand it's still going ahead as normal. But are, are these like separate entities?
1: Who have got individuals who are exploiting it, or is is there still a funnel to some yeah, top?
0: Both, both. both, see, I think both things are happening. So the one ecosystem so is kind office, of decentralizing. <laughs> ironically, why it's so hard to control. <laughs> so there is still a head office, the same office in Bulgaria, in Sofia, Bulgaria, that's still open. The one ecosystem they're calling it, like I said.
2: Is this the website? Yeah, that looks you know, like it do to me. you know the crazy thing is? It says, our cryptocurrency was designed for regulation, not speculation. Yeah. On exactly. the website. Yeah. Do you know what that sounds so, like? What's that? BSV. Yeah.
1: It is, because yeah. that's what the BSV people started promoting. So, and, and I think I'm okay saying this. Uh, one of the things that Craig Wright was been pushing is that you can... Like, you should be able to return coins to people. Like, uh, your yeah. private key isn't finality. It uh, yeah. doesn't prove ownership. So that's
0: that's something yeah. that
1: they push too. Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, so so there is there is still a head office. There is still that going on, uh, and money still funneling up the pyramid to the people at the top. But I also think that out in like a small village in Uganda, you'll still have promoters who are just going around knocking on doors, village to village, and saying, hey, "Give me some cash, and I'll give you someone. I'll send you someone. I'll I'll open an account for you on the website." but we'll make it between us. So sometimes when you cut the head off a pyramid scheme, you can carry on because promoters could carry on exploiting people by using cash and sort of word of mouth.
1: This show is brought to you by BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB2. Now, they heard about the difficulty I had with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you're looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you might want to become a BCB customer too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up is my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just have to receive your Bitcoin wait for the coin join and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, which you know, that's always something I care about. Now you do get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount and there is no change. So any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Now, privacy is something I am definitely taking more seriously, and with the recently released Wasabi 2.0, this becomes so much easier. Now, if you do want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but whilst we're at the bottom of a bear market, I'm only buying. We're hodlers, right? We hold through this. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips all through this, and I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini have invested in building leading industry security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. I wonder if someone's even created like a, a one coin token. Uh, maybe. Have a look, because I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised, because it'd be very easy to create that as well. Yeah. So, God, there's so many places to go with this. Uh, so, they still have an, uh, an office in Bulgaria. Yeah.
0: Why have the Bulgarian authorities not closed this? Okay, day? well I can speculate about this. Yeah. Cuz if you've if you've heard the last episode of yep. the podcast, we find that Europol meetings where the Americans and the British and the Germans and the Dutch and the Bulgarians and the Dubai police were all there sharing information about OneCoin. They're investigating OneCoin. This is before she disappeared. The the meetings from those minutes, from the, the minutes from those meetings, the PowerPoint slides from those meetings found their way to Rougea within days of those meetings happening. So we speculate that one way that happens is through Bulgarian off- officials that those meetings were somehow getting that to Rougea. So you're, you're
1: whispering, uh, it. we're <laughs> just going to turn it up when we release it. <laughs>
0: Just gotta be careful with my words. No, no, be careful. And Um, look, if you need someone to check it before it goes out, we're okay with that. But you see, so it's it's that. So that's that it sort of suggests that Rouge is very well connected in Bulgaria. And we sort of know that all along. But it's very mysterious how and who and exactly in what ways and who would be behind this. Because it's kind of well documented that Bulgaria is the most corrupt country in Europe. Okay. Critics say most. Countries have a mafia. In Bulgaria, the mafia has a country. You know, it's quite a well-known place for organized crime and the government where they're quite intertwined. Corruption's a massive problem. And I think the general belief is that Ruzsa had corrupted police officers, had some form of protection there. And it's possible that that is why it's still open, why it's still in operation, Mm. because I don't understand it myself. Why they haven't just shut this down and arrested everyone.
1: Yeah, it feels like at this level, it would need to go a bit higher than police officers, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not just about individual police officers. I mean, Mm. there's all sorts of allegations that I can't really repeat because... Yes. Do you know why? It's it's so hard to stand up allegations against named individuals when it comes to sort of rumours of organised crime and stuff. Mm. Because no-one talks, no-one tells you anything. This is one of the reasons our investigation into it is a little bit stalled. Like, because we need to go to Bulgaria again, and I'm pretty worried about that. Given the last thing that we reported on with this Europol thing has caused a bit of a stink over there. Apparently, it was in all the news about someone in the police is leaking Europol things to Russia, and there was pressure on the government, and they weren't answering questions about it. So I've got to now turn up there, and they'll see when I arrive on the flight list. And I'm thinking, well, what's what you know, what's going to happen? How so many people
1: were in that room, do you know, in that Europol room? There were different meetings, but usually about 20 or so. So, potential candidates are people in the room, but then also there's potential candidates who are people who just move files around, yeah, have access right. to files. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, very... Mm, okay.
0: So but, the, you know, it's, it just make, it just makes it, again, because we've always wondered, like, why is Rouge so confident? Why did she disappear just before she was about to get arrested while well, she was having access to these meetings?
1: Hmm. So, the... the Organized crime part of it is interesting. I've got a few questions about this for you. But one thing I keep thinking about is, is she in a position where she's now buying protection? And even if that is a case, at the point where you've bought protection of very kind of scary and dangerous people, yeah, does there come a time where they then own you? Yeah, And, you know, she needs to be kept... Protected and maybe it turns to where well, it's the exploitative relationship of her. It's like, yeah. no, give us the money. I know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I can. Into bed with the devil. I've spoken to a lot of people about this and it's a bit of speculation because yeah. I, I can't see exactly what's going on and who's exactly behind it. Although the rumor has always been that this one individual in particular called. Haki, the, the he's the, considered to be the most notorious Great name. drugs trafficker of all time, the cocaine king, they call him, the nickname, the cocaine yeah. king, that he's somehow involved in this. I mean, he lives in Dubai at the moment. He's someone that's known to have been close to government as well somehow. So this is these are the sort of circles we're dealing with. Um, the question has always been, and I think it's the question the FBI also has as well, did Rouge start this out with organized crime somehow involved? Like a big plot to launder money and, uh, you know, it just a clever way of making money for them and for her as well. Or, and this is the one I think is more likely, did, did one coin get very big very quickly and then organized crime groups in Bulgaria turned up and said, Hello. Hi, yeah, how about we run your security now and how about you launder money for us and in exchange we'll make sure you're safe? That, to me, feels more likely knowing Rouge's background than how OneCoin started. I think that's what probably happened. Right. And then those would be the people that would help her disappear. But she'd have to keep paying them to keep her protected. And I spoke to someone the other day about this, saying she's now on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. I mean, does this not mean she's more of a liability for people that might be protecting her?
1: Because if they're looking for her, they might find other things.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. Now the FBI have really got their heart on it. Like, because once you get on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, the FBI don't want to be made to look stupid. Like, they don't put people on there unless they think they can find them. They've got a strike rate of about, I think it's over 80 or 90%. They find most people because they put, I think they put them on there when they know they're going to find them. Mm. so because otherwise why would you put someone on there that you'll know you'll never get you look stupid mm. so suddenly the fbi are nosing around and all the powers that they've got to do that it gets harder to keep someone hidden and again like you say like the people protecting her don't really want the fbi snooping around their business but if there's so, no new money coming so well I, so well, i'll just say that yeah. he said it just will get more expensive for her yeah. It's not that they would get rid of her, she just has to pay more. So she they, she has to be in control of the money. She has to still have access to millions of dollars to keep herself protected. And that is going to get harder and harder and harder to do, I imagine, with the FBI now really onto her. So I don't know, there's a lot of rumours around. There's rumours mm. that she has been killed. There's rumours that, you know, I, I, my last theory on this was that she was floating around on a boat in the Mediterranean. Often on land, but is that now still true? The FBI is onto her. I don't know. There's a rumor she's now a man. There is a rumor that she's <laughs> now a man. There's. Uh, oh, I've heard every rumor. Yeah. I've heard every rumor. I mean, rumored that she was around London a lot as well, but never been able to. I've had lots of. I've, the funny thing is, people are absolutely convinced they've seen her. I get phone calls all the time. I, was, I definitely saw her. She was in Heathrow Airport. She was. I saw her in the car. I saw her here. She's in the shopping centre in Australia. She's somewhere else. People are absolutely certain it's her. But the problem is, a lot of people look like Roushia. That happened with Madeline McCann. Yeah, yeah. happened with yeah, Tupac. Yeah. Tupac. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Tupac.
1: Yeah, you know that yeah. happens. And Lord Lucan before that, I guess. Yeah. The, although the the Aston, silver Aston Martin with the number plate was kind of interesting. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the organized crime thing, yeah. and you might not want to talk about this, so if you don't, well, I understand, but how much consideration do you have to make for yourself right now?
0: Yeah. I, I, mean, I feel like I'm in quite a difficult position with this because I, I really want to get to the bottom of this story, obviously, and I feel like there's a lot of expectation for me to do that. You know, I'm lucky that I've got had millions of people listen to this podcast are interested in the story, reading the book, all the rest of it, and, and they look to us to be the ones that are going to solve it. But I don't want to get myself killed for it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I, as much as I want to find her, I don't want to end up.
1: See, I see it slightly differently. Like, like as a mate, I you know want you to be okay, and I want you to keep doing good investigative journalist work. But at the same time, I think the only reason for you to keep doing it is to create more entertainment for people but like this is now in the hands of the right people to solve it we've got the resources to do it so i don't think you should feel any obligation yeah to carry it on
0: it's not an obli it's not so much an obligation i, I guess i feel very lucky that that so many people want to listen to our investigation yeah. yeah and there's a part of me obviously having done it for so long i just want to see it resolved mm. if i'm perfectly honest with you it's a bit frustrating for it to be up in the air all the time, like constantly hanging over me. Where is she? What's happened to her? I would be so happy if I got a phone call tomorrow saying the FBI have got her. You can, it's over. Mm. And I can go to America and sit in on the trials, watch them unfold and I don't have to worry about it anymore and I can, I'll move on to something else. Mm. But all the time it's out there and she's somewhere, I feel like it's, it's sort of annoying for me dedicated so much of my life to it. I can't really just easily walk away. So I'm trying to walk the right, you know, walk the tightrope. I'm not just going to walk away because I'm scared. Yeah. But there's probably places that I'm not willing to just rock up in Dubai, start banging on doors. No, it's unnecessary risk. Yeah, exactly. So we're trying to figure it out. I mean, at the BBC, you've got great security advisors and they'll say, you probably shouldn't go here, but you probably are all right going there. And so going back to Bulgaria, for example... It's a bit risky, but the way I see it with organised crime groups, and I don't really want to, I don't actually want to investigate organised no. crime groups. I don't. I just want to find her. Yeah. And they're, like, in the way of that. And so I don't want to, I, I like, if you're listening organised crime groups, <laughs> I'm not interested in you lot. Tell, tell me where she is, and that's the end of it. Yeah, this show is actually quite popular in the uh, underworld of Bulgaria. Right, that's
2: good to know. Yeah. She might be listening. Well, it's only criminals that listen to Bitcoin shows. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, the um,
0: so like, for example, part of the thinking is organized criminals are, are very, very clever business people. Mm. They're not stupid. It would be more trouble for them to get rid of me. Mm. Wouldn't want to do it. It'd be mm. idiotic. And they're smart people. So they probably will leave us alone because why would they want to draw more attention to themselves? So you think, okay, well, that's good. That's quite safe. So I feel confident with that. But it, yeah, it's a bit, I mean, it's a bit nerve wracking. Mm. Have you received any threats? Nothing, nothing serious. Nothing serious. No. I'd like to tell you that I'd, you know, that I have and I'm really brave, but no, they just... I just sort of get left alone, left to get on with it. Yeah, I mean, look... There is Paranoia that... <laughs> in your head, though, isn't it, sometimes? It, yeah. it can freak you out in your head. You can imagine all sorts of things, and that can be just as just as scary. Well,
1: look, I, listen, I mean, I listened to the original series and we made a podcast, and that was great, and then I've listened to these two additional ones, and honestly, on the way down, when we re-listened to it, I was, like, just thinking more of a, you know, as a mate, like, I, you know, this, there is some serious people involved, and yeah. I just
0: on a personal perspective I don't think there is an obligation but what would you do if you're in my position just walk away and leave it
1: no it's I put it a different way I think if you felt like walking away there should feel there shouldn't be any guilt yeah I just don't think like, look I went into the Venezuela right. slums without security because <laughs> i found it exciting yeah. um uh I think you should do whatever you want that's yeah. it that's it you if you want to carry on carry on if you don't yeah. don't but don't feel an obligation you've materially contributed to the investigation and if and when she is found then you will have played a major role in that i just don't think you have an obligation to the audience to find her that said i can imagine if i was you this was like there's a niche now
0: yeah that's what i'm saying yeah and that's different. just hanging around around me all the time
1: Mm.
0: everyone wants to know and i want to know and i want to know i mean i've been doing it for four years now imagine one thing for four years (laughs) <laughs> and it's so infuriating because <laughs> it could be any day. I could, every every now and again, I expect my phone to ring and someone say, "Oh my god, have you seen the news? They've got her." It's brilliant. I'll be so bloody pleased because I feel like I, 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 you know, I could I could wrap it up. I kind of want <laughs> the phone to ring one day and it's her talking to you. <laughs> yeah, I'd love that too. <laughs> but originally, I think my expectations changed because yep. when we started this, I really thought there was a chance that we'd find like you know, tap on the shoulder get a sighting of her. But now with everything that's happened, I've I've got to be realistic. I'm not going to knock on a door and she's there. I'm not going to spot her in a building somewhere. So it's more just, I suppose, just working out what we can now do without getting ourselves in serious danger. And there's a lot, there are a lot of things we can still do. Is it a case that the more you investigate, the more information you
1: find, which gives you more leads, which starts to then make it feel even harder. Like,
0: yeah, where do we bit. go? Yeah, a little bit, that is very true. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's that's, that's a problem. You've got to know where to stop because you can follow this story in a million different directions. Um, so yeah, you, and, and the, the reality is as well, for people that listen to this, they don't actually care that much about organized crime or money laundering, because you've heard it all a million times. They just want to know, where mm. did she go? Where is she now? You want to catch that's the baddie. it. Yeah, that's it. And I'm very conscious of that. So I could say, you know when podcasts go off on these little tangents and they're like, okay, let's do an episode and it's going to all be about organized crime and how it works. Mm. People don't care. They just want to know what happened to this woman. Mm. So I've got to be a little bit... Um, we're trying to only put... Episodes out now, which are really about that like getting closer to it But
1: well, that was a good thing. It doesn't feel stretched out and people can do that and it could feel like oh Here's another 10 episodes and yeah, you're really kind of dragging it out and although I did think you know when you made uh, episode 11 once you got the um, the, the memory, the memory stick, stick
0: you could have ended on that
1: because I, like, I want to know what's on that memory <laughs> stick.
0: That, that would have put me into another episode <laughs> Yeah, but you've got to wait for ages and you'll have forgotten about it by the time yeah. it comes out. That's the thing
1: So where now? What now with it? Where do you go with it
0: now? Or is that, like, do we have to wait? You have to wait a little bit because of all the things I've said. Right. We've got to work out what we can say and what we can't say. Basically, the way we left it is we went to interview this guy, Frank Schneider. He's under house mm. arrest in France. Um, he gives us a memory stick and basically says, this, is, this has got the answers. This is going to help you find her. It talks about loads of other stuff that we haven't really gone into. And, and we are still combing through that. Three hours of. Here's one of the strangest things that, for anyone that didn't listen, the the, the whole story is very Netflixy, I suppose. Mm. Doctor Rouja's boyfriend ends up working for the FBI, and then records the phone calls that he's having with Ruja before she disappears. But what he doesn't realise is because of these Europol things, Ruja knows that the FBI are onto her, so she's recording the phone calls as well. And Frank Schneider gives us a memory stick with three hours of phone calls right up to the point she disappears between Ruzsa and her boyfriend. And we're still combing through all of that for little clues, but both sides, they both know that the others, you know, they both suspect Mm -hmm. that the other's recording. So the whole thing is so strange. There's loads of... The other thing here is loads of documents about companies and things like that. And... Who wants to listen to a podcast episode that's about company X was owned by person Y, who owned another holding company in the British Virgin Islands, and that can also that can, be, yeah, but you say too that too much of that, and it can get quite boring as well. So we're yeah. working through it all, trying to figure out how does this get closer to her. But in
1: London, you did put up a slide about the structure of the companies, yeah, and that was fascinating but it's five minutes, yeah. and maybe that works because we had the visual that you can see about this kind of crazy structure. I was thinking, one of the questions I had on the way about this all is like, is there, in terms of personal finances for me, right? At the end of each month, I do my personal (laughs) finances, right, and I've got bank account A, I've got this, bank account B, I've got this, savings, I've got that, and on my Bitcoin side, it's like wallet A's got this, wallet B's got that, wallet and I just know where everything is, I just keep an eye on, yeah, I know where it all is is there like a master account for where this money is? Because it's it's clearly (laughs) distributed everywhere into assets, accounts, and if so, who manages it? Or is it separate? Like, I'm really intrigued to how she's managing the flows of those money, the flow flow of that money and the pots of that money.
0: Yeah, it's very complicated. I'm still trying to work it out myself, to be honest, because you've got all the the four, let's say four billions invested. I calculated that about a third of that went back out in payments to the multi-level marketers. Because oh, okay. you've got commission payments. So you're getting your 10% for every one coin package that you sell. So she had to come up with a very clever way of paying tens of thousands of people every week the money they'd earn from selling one coin packages to other people. And did she pay that in dollars or was she paying that in one coin? She paid that in 60% fiat and 40% one coin. <laughs> The whole thing's really complicated. <laughs> so there was all of that she had to deal with and worry about. And she had, t- you know, accountants and all sorts of things. Her boyfriend owned a bank. And I think the boyfriend's bank was providing credit cards. But it's all very, very complicated. But then there was her own personal wealth. So she's buying houses in Sophia. She bought properties in Sophia. She bought 13.9 million pound Kensington penthouse. She had bulletproof, Lexuses, all loads of cars. Then she had four $100 million British Virgin Island regulated investment funds. And the one coin money that the investors are paying in was ending up being disguised as investments from wealthy European families into these British Virgin Island investment funds, which were then going to buy other companies that Ruja ultimately owned, but none of it was in her name. And this was the way that she was turning some of the one coin money into sort of legitimate investments that she owned. And then she owned houses in Dubai. According to Frank Schneider, there's a billion euros still out there in bank accounts in China, in Dubai, in Australia, and I think South Korea. But I can't just phone up, but the Chinese, I mean, so there's the, you hit a brick wall when you're following the money. I know that's the journalistic adage, isn't it? Like, follow the money yeah, but when you, I can't follow it everywhere. So we're piecing it together and we're finding things here, there and everywhere. Like I think she may have done something with online casinos in Malta, Uh but you hit a bit of a dead end. I think she put money into a Luxembourg trust fund, but you hit a dead end. You can't get past it. You can't see anything more. So you piece together little things here and there, but more often than not, you just kind of, you, you hit these like on paper owners that are, You know, very commonly, she would have... A lawyer would own it for her. Yeah. So the person that was technically the owner of her London family office was a 27-year-old Cypriot woman and a former manager of Pizza Hut, also from Cyprus, who were registered to an address in Dubai. And they were the owners of her London family office. Where am I going to go with that? I mean, firstly... Why don't what a do company's house in the UK do about that? That's so dodgy looking. Mm. She like this multi millionaire crypto genius and it's a Cypriot a Cypriot Pizza Hut manager who's the owner of her family office in London. Come on. But just no one does anything about it. Well that's why I'm wondering, is there like
1: a master accountant who's running the back office of all this who's
0: run, running the money flows who's managing the lawyers well the gut she was actually quite famous for trying to manage everything herself oh right but she okay. was very very clever i mean she did she did work in finance for years and she got a phd in law and and she's really really smart person but her her American lawyer investment manager, Mark Scott, who was convicted for this, he was the one running those British Virgin Island investment funds. But then she would have had someone else doing another thing over here. She had some lawyers dealing with her property. She had someone dealing with her, her online casino. She had someone dealing with a Sophia House as a different lawyer. She must have employed at least 10 lawyers In different countries, who some of them were dealing with this, some of them were dealing with that. So she had, she had to kind of have a view on everything, but she had lots of people working for her managing the day-to-day stuff. And why uh, are you you interested in what you're going to do with all your money then? (laughs)
1: No, but like I mean, I have a very simple life. My finances are quite simple. I still have an accountant and a lawyer to help me out with it. Yeah. But it's my super simple, and I'm just thinking it's like.
0: Or the stress of it. The difficulty,
1: yeah. Well, so, uh, no, because I'm trying to think, uh, like, if you want to get away with it, one of the things me and Danny (laughs) were talking about the way down is like, if you're her, is is it actually, is this exciting and fun, or is it just constant stress? Like, is there an excitement of being on the, but uh, FBI's most wanted list, getting away with it, and are you just living this high life of parties and a yacht and people protecting you, and you got your two fingers up, or is it constant stress? And- oh, I think constant stress. But
0: so so then- I, I, th- I think I think at the beginning, all the early parties, and she had loads of parties. Tom Jones sang at a birthday party in London, and then she had Bebe Rexha singing at a birthday party in Bulgaria in twenty seventeen. You know all these amazing cars, and she had a big yacht, and you know she really was living the high life. But she then had a daughter in October 2016, and she disappeared one year after. And I think the moment she had a daughter, she it, it changed. changed. But she, it was stress. It and is a daughter with her? I can't go into all that stuff. Partly because I'm not sure. I don't think the daughter's with her. Right. But I, I, I really avoid too much. Talking about the daughter, because the daughter's just an innocent yeah. party. I mean, it's, it's public record, she had a daughter, so I'm not saying anything super private. She talked about it a lot. But uh my suspicion is, and from talking to people, that might have changed it from being cool and fun and exciting to just being unbearably stressful. But it was like too late by then. Could could she also have
1: exited in that she's got almost like a private version of witness protection? She's gone and bought an ID a location, and she's just disappeared. And yeah, we she's definitely
0: her about, done that. I mean, she's definitely got ID. She's definitely got all of that stuff.
1: But what I mean is that there's a version where she's still in the kind of, like, shadows of maybe Bulgaria and hiding oh, out there. Maybe she gets get a private jet to Dubai occasionally, and she's got the still, they say, or she's completely disappeared and gone to some people say, here, I got 500 million. I want to escape with 10, 15 million. I want an ID. I want to be in a country. No one's going to look for me like a, I don't know, south of chile or yeah you know, up in brazil has uh, been yeah. mentioned often and and i just want out and i yeah. want to be left and take all the money like that is an option because if it is all all that st- stress cuz yeah. like i asked about that kind of master accountant right and the master accountant is somebody one who can steal your money two who can roll on you yeah so do you have to have multiple mar- like y- yeah. you've got to have multiple you know heads of this thing cuz one gets cut off Yeah. like i don't know how you do this
0: yeah and I wonder if she's just gone, I'm out, I'm done. She's very close to her family, though. Okay. So it's one thing about just disappearing and saying, all I want is a new ID, and I don't want to be involved with organised crime and this protection or that protection. I just want to live in a normal place, somewhere far away from everyone with my new ID, and I'm gone. And she could have afforded that 100 times over. Uh, and that is possible. And maybe she did do that. I, however, have had a lot of sightings of her in and around the Mediterranean, right up until just a year ago. The life she likes. The life she likes. And mm. I spoke to a private investigator, I've spoken to a lot of private investigators, and they said people always revert to type. Right. They, they end up back where they started. They end up like the lifestyle, the food, the glamour, the family, the people, they can't just, people can't just disappear. Or it takes a very unusual person to be able to do that. And that's not normally what happens. They normally stay close to the first place they went, which in this case is Greece. Mm. So this was this is our sort of working theory, but it is possible. It is possible, and there are people that can make you do that. I've read I've read a few books about how to disappear because obviously looking into this, there's loads of books out there about how to do it. Well, we did that, didn't we? <laughs> so do you know the Quadriga story?
1: Yes, yeah. So we were looking into that, and we were looking to make a similar story to yours about that. Uh, and what was his name? Gerald, Gerald, Gerald Cotton, Cotton, yeah, and part of part of the way we were going to make it, I don't mind because we're never going to do it now. It's too. But we were going to try as part of the podcast to disappear, to actually disappear. You know, I, the only people I was going to let was my family and friends know, and then I was going to try and disappear. You know, it's a lot of work, a lot of planning. Oh, it's a lot of work. We looked yeah. at the books. I mean, I <laughs> I gave myself a year of prep before I could actually do it. Yeah. you know, siphoning
0: bits of money away and yeah, it's. It's It's hard hard work. Yeah. And you, one mistake, one mistake, you like lose discipline. I mean, that's the thing that all these books on disappearing say you've got to have this eye and discipline. You make one focal, you, you know, you make one little mistake, you appear somewhere in public for too long, you contact, you're desperate to contact someone. So you just can't help logging into Facebook to just, that could be it. Yeah. And a lot of people have said to me, but she, it's impossible. She couldn't have done it. She'd be spotted, all the cameras everywhere. But, Why do we have an FBI's 10 most wanted list and a Europol's most wanted list? Go and have a look at them. Loads of people that have been on the run for absolutely ages. Mm. There was this British guy that stabbed someone in a bar in London, got himself a fake ID, traveled around Europe for about two years. Mm. All he did was got some tattoos and grew his hair long. No one recognized him and then in the end he handed himself in because it's so stressful. (laughs) Just constantly on the run. Mm. It's not fun no matter how much money you've got, the stress of it. So if she is out there, she's living in a golden cage because it would not be fun. Especially not now she's on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list.
1: This show is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Now, one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments reach out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team to help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have also been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. Now, they started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team and services ever since. And their in-house fintech incubator is where the teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now, you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. And they provide the resources, training and development to make you successful in this emergent industry. Now, if you want to learn more about this, then please head over to crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Next up, it is Ledger. Now, recent events have highlighted just how important self-custody is, and Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. The larger screen makes it easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S+, maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, before I even started this podcast, and I absolutely love the S. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S H O P dot L E D G E R dot com. Next up, we have BitCasino. Casino. Established in 2013, BitCasino Casino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, and they are trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino that you can go to. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today we have Ledin. Now, from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Leden is there to support all your needs. And not only a leaden sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Leden.io, which is LEDN.io. dot io.
2: The thing that I thought when we were listening is... Um... Dubai seems like a place where maybe she could have, she could be working with either yeah. royal family or the state, or in some way, yeah. maybe they're hiding it. Because do you want to explain what they did with the money? Because that's super interesting. Do
0: you mean the, um, the Bitcoin of, the, deal? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't. This is very, very complicated. Whether this even happened at all, and I'm increasingly wondering whether the whole thing is an is itself an elaborate scam within a scam. Mm. But it seems that at some point, again, long before she disappeared. Dr. Ruzsa had 50 million euros or so frozen in Dubai bank accounts, 50 million euros. And it seems that she struck a deal with a sheikh there, although I should say he denies all of this and claims he was the one that was wronged, um, but struck some kind of deal where she hand, essentially handed the power of attorney over to him to have control over the one coin companies, including the bank accounts with the frozen money, the 50 million that's frozen. Uh, and in exchange, he handed her four memory sticks with 230,000 Bitcoin on them, which at the time was 50 million euros, because this is in 2015. The thinking being, Rusia gets the Bitcoin, And me, the shake, with my, you know, the strings I can pull and my contacts, I can unfreeze your bank accounts and keep that money for myself. That all ended up going disastrously wrong. He wasn't able to unfreeze the accounts. He did send a letter or two off to, like, you know the chief prosecutor in Dubai, but the bank accounts weren't unfrozen. And then there was this big legal dispute between Roushier and him about who really owned it and had he overstepped his power of attorney and got very, very complicated. The latest ruling on this, which was just a few weeks ago, I think he now is probably in possession of that 50 million euros of frozen money. I think he has won. All these appeals were going on in the Dubai Commercial Courts about it, and he has won. And now does own that 50 million euros. The question is, did he ever really give her 230,000 Bitcoin on four memory sticks? Mm. So- Any it, blockchain it, scanning no, to see the know, big transactions? Oh yeah, tried it, tried it, but it was all in on cold, you know, supposedly cold wallets, you know, just, it's just a memory stick with access to God knows how many cold wallets, it wasn't ever said. I don't know if any of them moved, I had no addresses for any of those wallets, but this was presented in a Dubai commercial court, you know. Like, documents where the sheikh signed it, like, I handed Ruja these Bitcoin in exchange. Trust me, Gov. Well, you know, it could be that he just made that up to explain why he should have the 50 million that was frozen. And again, I'm like, how am I supposed to figure this out? Oh. <laughs> so, um, she was sort of connected in Dubai. She did have a mansion there that we think we found. Yeah. Using some open source intelligence That was an amazing work. part of the story. <laughs> so, you know, using just one photograph on Instagram of, that our brother took, we managed to geolocate the exact place of this mansion that we think she may have owned, but she probably isn't there anymore. We sent some Krispy creams around there on like Deliveroo type thing to see if anyone was in, but no one was. So she had good connections in Dubai. And this Bitcoin thing was really annoying me. Like I couldn't get to the bottom of it. I like, did... We've got court documents that say this shake gave a four memory sticks with two hundred and thirty thousand Bitcoin, and it's like maybe that we can trace there. We can use blockchain analysis. Yeah, I mean, if I was out, the court, but...
1: I was the court. I'd say, show me the evidence that yeah. you purchased and they transferred.
0: And well, what they used was certificates. Like, look, here's like an affidavit kind of thing, certificate <laughs> of purchase. Yeah, I know, but yeah. this is old fact. This is the but old. But that's like one way. coin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's no actual crypto. There's yeah. But this is the old-fashioned way of doing things, isn't it? I've got a document with a lawyer and I've signed it, and there it is, and that's proof. Your world of proof is show me the keys, show me the money moving. Yeah. Show, but that isn't how courts really work still. So to the court, I guess that was enough evidence. That was what they needed. And it, it comes down to these interesting questions about trust, like why, do you trust a blockchain analysis or do you trust a lawyer's letter you know, that's waved in the air at you? I don't know if she even had it. I don't know if it was a scam within a scam so the sheikh could get the 50 million. So she was connected in Dubai, but because they fell out so badly, I wonder whether she had to disappear again mm. from Dubai. Because I think she was in Dubai after she vanished. Right, I think, think that's I where think she went? I think one of the first places she went was Dubai. But I think she may have then had to have moved on again. Getting
1: from Greece to Dubai without a passport, how difficult is that? No,
0: she had passports. She had loads of passports. But, but I you think would, they would have had. Tr- oh, so it would have been a fake passport. I think she had fake passports. Yeah.
1: And has no one looked at the cameras at the airports? Or,
0: yeah. yeah, the FBI probably has. Yeah. They're not going to tell private, me, are they? Don't care. Private. I mean, she travelled in private jets a lot there of the you time. Go. So this is why it's really difficult. And I, you know, we, like the 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 the, the last known sighting was basically Athens airport when she landed there on her Ryanair flight, and I said to. I asked the FBI about this. Was she definitely on that flight? You know, or because it could have been misdirection. Because didn't Jan Marsalek from Wirecard, you know, he p- pretended to be on one flight and then went off on another flight. And they basically said, no, we can't tell you, but w- we we're pretty sure she was on that flight. Let's just say that. Mm. So we know she was there, but from that point, it goes a little bit cold. Now I'm sure the FBI obviously has information that I don't have of about course. what happened then. And if you look at the country, look, if you look at the languages that they've translated this FBI notice into and the countries they've mentioned, Albania, Greece, Dubai, Eastern Europe, Balkans, Germany, they're all places that were kind of on our radar as well. Do you have a
1: board at home with pictures and bits of string <laughs> no, no. that you stand and look at and go no, crazy with? No, people just
0: do that in the movies. You so, didn't want to yeah, do they that. Did, they did, I did want to do that, but I made it as a podcast,
2: didn't I? So oh, what was the didn't. point? The thing that was a massive red flag for me was that the last text message that I think she's known to have sent, I can't remember, who was that to? To
0: Frank Schneider, and so They, he they says, used to speak yeah. in
2: German, and then the last text message was home safe in English. Yeah. That seems like a huge red flag. Well,
0: when well, you ever
1: hear about a kidnapper or a murder, <laughs> And the and the person's done it keeps texting from their phone for
0: a while. That just sounds like one of those. Yeah. The thing is, it's what's always difficult about this is do I trust Frank Schneider?
2: Mm.
0: Was that true? Like every the funny thing about this story is you never really know who you trust either. It always comes back down the whole thing about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to bring it back to your mm. it's trust. Why do you trust the things you trust? Like, why do you trust money? Why do I trust Frank Schneider? Why do I trust the legal document in the court? Why did OneCoin investors trust Ruger? Like, Ruger had letters from lawyers. Frank Schneider trusted that. Why did he trust that more than the blockchain? And it's like, everything is about trust in this story and why you trust certain things. And it, it does you head in a bit. Like, do I trust Frank Schneider? Is he lying to me about that text message for some reason? I don't know, I can't see the text message. Never, never showed it to me.
1: Are there times where you've kind of got really then? Well, you must have got very frustrated. Feel like you don't know where to turn, and like the whole thing's just becoming like a big yeah, jumbled mess. That's how net. I feel
0: at the moment. Oh, you you do. Yeah, huh. yeah, I do. Um, and the 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 the, I got two things in my head. I mean, one is like, how do I make this into a story? How yeah. do I tell a story? Because that is what I do as well, isn't it? I'm, this, how do you draw a line through the chaos of this story? So. A listener, and this was always aimed at, I hate to say ordinary people, but the whole purpose of us putting this podcast together was for non Bitcoin people to listen to it and think about it. And because you know how many people get scammed, you talk yeah. about it all the time. Yeah. How many people in the UK hold crypto assets? 2.3 million, or there's more than that now. That was the last figures. How many of them understand it really, properly? Not many. Not many. I mean, I don't, and I've got a show. <laughs> <laughs> and how many are losing money all the time because they don't know what they're doing? So the point was normal people are more and more putting their money into crypto assets for lots of reasons, good reasons and bad yep. reasons. Can we issue a warning to them about how easy it is to lose it all, the risk of it? We so try. part of my – yeah, and I felt like part of my job is – I've got to make this story into something really digestible, easy, simple. I've got to line through the chaos, got to get people to switch back on and that's a that's almost like a separate job to can I do the hard work and find where this woman is? Mm. Have you
1: dreamt the story?
0: Yeah, yeah, dream about it all the time. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah, all the time. It's bloody annoying. But I, have you that... found her in a dream? <laughs> There was that one time, I mentioned it in the book, where it was the day the podcast came out and this guy's smashing on my door at three o'clock in the morning saying, get the fuck out of here. Get out of your house banging on the door like this. This wasn't a dream. I was woken up. I thought it was a dream. And I wake up and I think, oh, my God, like, these guys have found me already. What am I going to do? So i I like, to the one, this guy's banging on the door. Get the fuck out of the house. And I'm like, oh, man. So I phoned 999. So I don't know what to do, really. And I'm actually explaining to the police like that I've just released a podcast for the BBC and I think that they're on to me. And these guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Ask him what he wants. So I'm like, what do you want? Uh, he's at the wrong house. <laughs> <laughs> And that just made me so paranoid for the next so many months. So um, that was the closest thing to an actual dream, because I thought I was dreaming for the first couple of minutes. I was like, what is going on here? But you know what dreams are like. They never help you, never no. actually give you a clue. It's not like in the movies where you get this sudden waking up and a connection's formed in your brain between information A and B. It's never happened like that.
1: No, I think it's more of a signal of, of how deep you are in a story. Like yeah. If you dream about it. I, like, I know, like after my mum died, like over this period I just dreamt about my mum all yeah. the time because it was consuming me. Yeah. Yeah. When I got divorced, I used to dream about my ex-wife because it consumed me for a yeah, period. Yeah, exactly. And when something's consuming you, it starts to populate your dreams dreams. Yeah. And I just yeah. didn't know if you're that deep.
0: Yeah, I am. I mean, to be if I'm honest with you now, it's been so long that I, I have started doing other things. You know, I've had to start doing other things as well because you've got to like you don't get yeah. paid that well being a journalist, let's be honest. Yeah. So I've had to do other things as well and and it's and it's it's not as all consuming as it was. It goes in waves. Like when we got new episodes we're working on, it is non-stop and you become obsessed and you see rouge everywhere and the danger is when you're writing these stories like me, you get really obsessed with little details. I've got to get to the bottom of where that $100,000 went or what that one person did. That's most people for the storytelling element don't care. And you've got to try to remember that. So the problem is when you're obsessed with a story, is you get in the weeds and you lose, like, what's more important sometimes, which is like, what's going to make people carry on listening to this? Hmm. What's the big thing? And. I, and I've always found it really interesting. Like I know the story inside out, and I'll go and talk to people about it, and they'll come up or they'll come up to me and say, "I love that story about that missing woman. Yeah, that, she's like that Bitcoin woman, wasn't she?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, you'd like this, Peter?" He <laughs> <laughs> like, said, "No, no, no, not, not Bitcoin. No, but it was it was one of them, wasn't it? It was like Bitcoin or something like that." And I'm like, "Oh man, the level that people actually engage with these." It's so superficial compared to what you think. Yeah. So you've got to keep it so simple and so basic a lot of the time.
1: Well, I had it recently. A friend got in touch. She was like, "Listen, my boyfriend's involved in a Bitcoin scam. Like, I don't know what to do." And she, uh, I was like, "Well, just send it across to me. I'll have a look and I can talk to him if you want." She anyway, he sends me the it link. It's just, it's like a one coin. It's just another scam like that. No mention of Bitcoin. None of it anywhere. But she was convinced it was a Bitcoin scam. Yeah. It had nothing to do with it. Which it does again makes our life so much harder. Yeah. Because she automatically thinks Bitcoin is a scam.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I, I did try in the podcast to really make that distinction. Yeah. But the thing is, like, the problem I sometimes have is every event I go to, someone says, Yeah, but Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme. Because new investors are just getting Getting fleeced by the old investors and and they're paying they're paying the old investors essentially because mm. they're you get on a, you get in early there's nothing of any value and you just the old investors are selling to the new investors at a massive profit what's the difference so then you, know, you try and talk about that and why it's different yeah but it sort of drags you down doesn't it yeah. a little bit you don't get onto the interesting stuff but the thing I find most frustrating is the number of emails I get from people who say, my brother's been involved in a scam, my sister's invested in a similar thing to one coin, can you please look into it for me? And I can't. I can't. It's enough to do one crypto scam and focus on that. I can't look into all of them. But it makes me think that the police, that people don't bother going to the police. Mm. They're going to journalists saying, please, can you expose this scam for me? Because my brother feel bad now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah it's, it is a difficult one it's like is it your job to do it yeah a little bit maybe sometimes given your position but it's hard work to try and expose scams because it took me a long time to figure out what was going on with one coin and that's a really simple scam
1: yeah when and... people
0: say you need to go and get into tether you need to look into tether you need to look into this one you need to look into that one i think i oh, just my head hurts i think i'm never gonna figure it out it's too complicated
1: yeah god yeah i mean we get asked all the time uh and there's, a, there's certain ones we want to look into, but you know you, sometimes also you you got to be very careful of the yeah we talked about this beforehand. I'm not going to get into this now, but there are you can end up in lawsuits. Yes, if you call something wrong, and, you know, and which is a really dangerous position to be in because it can. I mean, certain lawsuits can destroy your
0: life. You have to yeah. be
1: very careful,
0: even if not just financially, like mentally, oh, it's mentally, stressful, yeah. and and it's like. Unfortunately, people do use the legal system to silence critics, mm-hmm. whether it's crypto or anything else. And that had stressed me out a lot with the OneCoin story as well. Mm. Like a, a lawyer is going to complain about this or complain about that. And you got you do all your work as a journalist to mitigate against that as best you can. And, and I'm lucky because I've got the BBC, you know, the BBC's there as well. But for I know that for online critics of OneCoin, they got letters from top, London law firms threatening them and it's very easy to roll over because you think well what's the point you know what is it worth my money my life my stress to do this mm. and unfortunately wealthy people using the legal system to silence critics it annoys me so much. It's disgusting.
1: Yeah, well, we've seen that with the oligarchs, that all that came to, like, threatening journalists. Um, There's been... A a lot of the Russians had an opportunity to come and hide money in the UK and buy expensive Kensington flats and Mayfair flats and...
0: And I understand why you'd people who are critics would just find it easier to just say nothing Well, because, because of the stress you're put under
1: i mean there was a one specific i forget her name but i think she might have written for the journal uh the guardian she wrote a book and she got a lot of threats yeah and, and yeah. then finally she's been protected but she still had to go through a very long period yeah during that to just off stress and cost to try and protect yeah. herself yeah and i yeah it's why i'm like such an advocate of free speech now yeah this is why i talk you know but people say yeah but what about hate speech and i said well what about it yeah. Yeah. There's more harm done by banning words than allowing words to be free. There's more there's more yeah. harm done by that. Like okay, there's a really good stand-up comedian. He's talked about being offended. He says, "Okay, you're offended." Then what happened? Yeah. You know, we we sh- yeah. this is why I'm a big advocate now for free speech because yeah. I've been through a situation, I've seen situations where people are threatened and we need to have the ability to be able to call these things out. So, yeah, like, I get it, man.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, and also with social media, there's there is the opportunity now to go out of your way to get offended. But like you can find it. And I think Christopher Hitchens has this quote. I can't remember the exact words, but where it's like if people are determined to uh, you know, stand on a ladder and peer through their window, so they can look at someone on the toilet and get upset by that. There's not much you can do about it. <laughs> and you know there is that sometimes sort of people sharking around social media, looking for the chance to be offended about something, and then for various reasons causing a stink about it. But they're not offended, really. Well, it, well, no, not really. But I th- and I think that I think that you when you've when you've been on the receiving end of like. Being told you can't say something or being threatened to be silenced, you understand free speech a bit better as well and the value of it. Like you also understand it better probably when you're targeted by free speech and you get the sort of hate crime targeted at you. And I think a lot of people talk about it in the abstract, and they've never experienced one, neither one nor the other. Mm. And I think once, if you've experienced both, somehow you sort of get a better feel for what free speech is, why it matters, where the limits might be. But a lot of us talk about it just in abstract terms. But I think more of us need to feel it to yeah. understand it. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like I've felt it I've from... i felt it. You've definitely <laughs> felt it. I've felt it. And then you become more of an advocate of that side of it. But if you're on the receiving end of loads of hate, you might, having felt it, you might feel a bit like, whoa, we need more limits on this, man. This is like I'm getting targeted. I'm getting attacked. If we can bring those sides together a little bit... But I'm, I'm with you. Like I err on the side of free speech always because... Just the the overall benefits to society are greater.
1: Yeah, listen, look, I think society has established what words can and can't be said on a on a moral level. I think we've established that. Okay. And there are social consequences for saying hateful words and hateful things to people. Yeah. I think society can deal with that. Yeah. But there are deep consequences from banning speech. Uh, protecting the people who you don't want protected. And, I, I, you know, the UK is a shit show for free speech. It's one of the worst places in the world. Uh, I don't have the energy to fight it anymore. I've been fighting yeah. for four years, but I, f- I know there are lawyers out there who are trying to fight this yeah. And because the UK has become almost an embarrassment of, yeah. with our free speech. laws, But we, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bigger, It's definitely a bigger thing, but it's interesting how it sort of touched both of our... Our lives in different ways oh, yeah. i mean in in the end as well there's there is a danger more broadly about people go around being terrified of saying the wrong thing and getting targeted online because they've said the wrong word or getting cancelled for this or whatever it is um what are we're not going to sort of develop the critical faculties ourselves to be able to really have these good arguments because no one wants to have them. No one wants to talk about things. And one thing that's really difficult for people at the moment is there's a lot of things that I see people saying online that I really don't agree with at all, but I don't want them to get, like, silenced. And, and, but you feel like you can't even protect... You can't even defend the person's right to say it without seeming like you agree with what they say. Mm-hmm. very hard to argue the principle of free speech, Like, I hate what you say, you know, I know the old cliche, but I agree with what you know, I don't defend your right to say it. But in practical terms, that can be quite difficult, because you just think, I just don't want to be, like, tarred with the same brush as that guy, because that's going to look really bad on me, so, um, and that's, uh, that's really sad. That's a shame.
1: Well, it's it's anyway. the adapting to a world of social media, which is a whole other That's a conversation whole other thing. we can do another time. I have time.
0: actually written a book on as well. I know you have.
1: <laughs> I think I I interviewed think you do about that, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, there was a whole other thing I was gonna ask you about uh, with, uh, just a very short short answer really, and you, We've had a lot of scams exposed right within our industry recently. Specifically, what everything that's gone on with FTX and yeah. uh, this guy Sam uh, Bankrun Freud. Bank, um, bank run Freud. Yeah. That's well, the news. Well actually is scam scam bank run Freud or Scam Bank Man Freud. Like there's all different versions, but I like He's it. He's got a good name for this, hasn't he? Yeah, it's all like I saw yeah. a great meme on oh, online and it was a bunch of lizards and they go, Yeah, and we'll call him the bank man. Oh god. <laughs> scam that, bank run Freud. Oh my god. I, I doubt you've been able to avoid seeing it yeah. and seeing Yeah. yeah. What well, to me is not far off um, uh, one of the largest Ponzi's has ever existed. Not far of yeah. what Bernie Madoff did. Uh, yeah. Which, even if it was incompetence, a lot of it, it's still, <laughs> you know, you've got yourself in a big hole. And we've seen somebody who hasn't been arrested, who's out there essentially on a PR tour at the moment, doing lots of interviews. Yeah. Just, I'm just interested in any perspective you have on this as somebody who has
0: tracked an actual scam for the last four years. I can't believe he's doing it. I'm amazed that he's decided to go out there and do all these interviews and stuff because you've got hundreds of journalists. Now, Like the FBI will be watching his every word and they'll be looking for any evidence of things where he's lying or things that he said. And all these journalists are combing through it saying, well, he's just admitted to a fraud there without realising it. Oh, he's just admitted to doing this thing wrong. Oh, he sent 10 billion from this account to that account. Well, he should have declared that or should have declared a vested interest in Alameda research. So why didn't... So he's... I don't know if he realizes quite how risky it is what he's actually doing.
1: Oh, right because of how the
0: authorities and the are, are going to look for evidence of in his own words because I guarantee he doesn't probably fully understand securities law or all the different things that, you know, are expected of accounting in a company like his because why would he? He should have advisors to do all of that. So he I mean, probably at some point would have incriminated himself by saying mm. something. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating. I don't want to say... Because I know he's not been convicted of anything yet. He's yep. not been charged of anything yet. So we've got a to... Disclaimer, do, disclaimer. I, I, yeah. Yeah. So I do... Um, I'm watching it very closely. I've, I've always noticed how long it's taken the authorities to build a case up against someone. Well, that's it the question. Very, it's a like... very, very long time because... Why hasn't he been arrested? The public expect the police can just swoop in and get someone, but they have to build a case. And, you know, in the UK, you know, the police have got to build the case, take it to the Crown Prosecution Service. They've got to decide whether it's in the public interest to prosecute, and if there's enough evidence for that, that all takes ages. You don't just arrest... It's very unusual to just arrest someone immediately, and it feels like with what happened with FTX is the story really came out through the journalists. I don't know whether the... Department of Justice was across what was going on, so they might be scrambling to try and get evidence together at the moment. So it's hard to know. I did see some interesting similarities from the investor's perspective, like Forbes covers and you know, like the credibility of of someone who's got what highly esteemed parents and top names promoting or working for the company, advertising the company. Looks all very legitimate. Work with the regulators, Ruja said all of that stuff as well. Um, so there's sort of interesting similarities about why investors were just sort of pouring money into this. But um, I mean, to, to me, obviously, the thing that seems strange is, is the creation of the token and the ability to turn investors' funds into FTT, the sort of internal currency of the FTX exchange site, and then use that as collateral on loans and stuff like that. And it, this is where I sort of a little bit like one coin. It's like, well, is that really crypto related, or is this quite an old-fashioned type of scam? And some people have said it's just it's very old-fashioned accountancy fraud, rather than some mm. new crypto magic. But I I think I get stuck at that because there I'm like I'm out of my I'm out of my zone here. I don't really know. I don't really know how mm. what's expected in for internal accounting requirements for this kind of thing in the Bahamas and all the rest of it. So it's hard to make a judgment on 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 that.
1: I think the interesting thing you've said there, though, is the fact that everyone's expecting an arrest straight away, but really they're building a case.
0: Like, because that was my because the conspiracy I'm guessing, theory. i Yeah, like, I know. Got to keep putting the disclaimer in because of how hard it's. Done, but this, this is just what I would imagine because I just know for the one coins, the, the you know the FBI were looking into this for like eighteen months and then she disappeared. Mm. So that's how long it was taking to... Because they don't want to bring a charge against someone and then they not have the evidence to stand it up.
2: As you say, he's just freely giving up evidence at the moment. Like, it's why what, arrest him and then get lawyers involved He might stop talking? There's no sign that he's going to run away. I imagine no. they wouldn't let him.
1: And I, I imagine there's some difficult jurisdictions here. Jurisdiction
2: For issues sure. between the US yeah. and Bahamas. they figure out if the like US entity is actually solvent and all that kind of yeah. thing. They, I, they
0: need to know <laughs> what's going on and it's not yeah. as easy as people think. I know, like podcasters might charge in and be like this is fraud and this is that and it's so obvious but you've got to prove it in a court of law and I'm yeah and it takes a long time to build the case up for that so I don't know I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing but it, yeah. that's what I, I imagine is going on well listen Jamie
1: always a pleasure to sit and talk to you uh I think you're doing amazing work and uh I think the success of this is 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 well deserved. It is a brilliant story, brilliantly told. Um, I've loved following it, and congratulations on the book as well.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, that goes into a lot more detail for those really interested in the inner workings of the of the one coin scam.
1: Yeah, and we'll look forward to seeing what you do next because, uh, obviously based on what you've done here, I'm expecting big things. And hopefully <laughs> if it's with the BBC, they're gonna give you a bigger budget, but we will see. But listen, congratulations. If anyone listening wants to find out more about this, where do they follow the podcast? Where do they buy the book? Yeah, How you they can they get the you? book
0: in the usual places. And the, for it, to be honest, the podcast in the usual places. So they're both called The Missing Crypto Queen. And um, yeah, and, I, and similarly, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, an invitation to a to, to football match soon. Hey, to see Bedford FC can't yeah, wait
1: whenever you're welcome well you uh 17th of december is the next home game is it we're trying to get a record crowd so if you can come up to Bedford, the oh, 17th yeah. of december okay let me see more, what i can do i'd love more. to go we've yeah. actually got a bitcoin meetup before the game as well <laughs> we could do a one coin meetup <laughs> before the game you'll probably lose if you do that and you're on a run you're on a winning streak aren't run, you so run, yeah. you don't want to change it <laughs> st- yeah we had a streak of 13 i think then we lost and now we're on a streak of eight so I got to keep that it. going but listen keep going man this is amazing i'm sure we'll do this again soon
0: my kid, thanks very much for
1: having me. Oh, come on. How good was that? I absolutely love talking to Jamie. I've got to find other reasons getting back on the show in the future. He's just such a great guy. Such an easy chat. Could you tell the difference between us? Did you struggle? I know some of you did. Two English voices. A bit of a struggle, right? But anyway, this whole one coin thing, it's mad. The mystery just gets weirder and weirder. I kind of hope for Jamie he gets to get to the end of it and find out where she is or, you know, it feels like something he needs to close out. So hopefully he does. As I said, if you haven't listened to the podcast series, go and check it out. It's in the show notes, The Missing Crypto Queen. It's pretty incredible work. Right. My dad's just got here, so I need to go and hang out with him. If you've got any questions about the show or anything else, please drop me an email. It's hello at did.com.